You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Good morning. And happy opening day, everybody. All right. Exciting stuff. You are dismissed, Steve. All right. Good to see everybody. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we are going to be. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. If it's your first time with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. Our uh, heart is that you go from feeling like guests to feeling like family just as soon as possible. And so uh, this is our attempt to try to make you family, right? Just like make you sit on top of each other for a while. And so uh, um, we really are glad that you're here. If you have not heard, um, we will be here a few more weeks. Um, and then we will be at the crossing. I think on Mother's Day is going to be our opening day at the crossing. Yay! Are we clapping for Mother's Day or the crossing? Mother's Day. Okay, the crossing. Okay. <laughs> the women of Mother's Day. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we'll be there, and so we'll have some more space. Uh, Paragold's Prom is actually there this Saturday, and so Luke will talk more about what you can do if you want to try to help out and, and get ready for that. Um, and so, anyways, thank you for squeezing in and, and sitting all close. I know for you introverts especially, you're just like shaking right now. And so, um, hey, I want to see a show of hands real quick. Um, how many of you in here have heard that as a Christian... We're supposed to pray. Let's see a show of hands. Raise your hand. Okay, everybody in here, I think. How many of you somewhat feel like you kind of know how we're supposed to pray? Raise your hand. Again, okay, uh, a little bit less. Now, let me ask you this, okay, and I want you to be honest, and I know the church is a hard place to be honest, right? We're supposed to smile and have it all together, but I want some honesty here. How many of you, raise your hand, feel like that, that you somewhat struggle to have a healthy, consistent prayer life? Okay, all right, look around everybody, be encouraged, okay, everybody in here just about says, yes, I struggle with prayer. Um, that is why we've launched a series, The Lord's Prayer, okay, and so over the next five weeks, we're going to walk line by line through this prayer and hopefully learn together how to have a consistent and healthy prayer life. And what I want us to do is I want us to actually read this together. And uh, every Sunday we're going to read the same passage, and then line by line we're going to break it down. And what I want to encourage you to do, I want to challenge you to begin to pray through this throughout your week, just as kind of a, to kind of help get you kick-started into prayer, okay? And so um, let's put it on the screen for you. Um, we're going to read it, okay, together. This is Jesus talking to disciples. He says, pray them like this. You ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, let's pray together, and then we'll begin to dive into this. Father, I thank you so much for each person who is here today. I pray that in our time together that you will, through your Spirit, stir our hearts towards you. Help us to develop, Father, a, a powerful prayer life that is based off of an intimate and personal relationship with you. I thank you for your word, and I ask now through your spirit that you will make it alive in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I will never forget my first day in vocational ministry. I had just recently become a Christian, and like all new Christians, I was just 
oozing with this raw zeal and passion. Um, if you would have met me within the first couple months of becoming a Christian, I promise you I would have shared my testimony with you and I would have asked you if you want to become a Christian. In fact, if my wife is in here, she's in the children's ministry right now, but she would agree that actually the very first encounter we had, I was working at the Buckle. She came in to buy a pair of jeans in Jonesboro at the Indian Mall, rest in peace, and she came in to, to get some jeans. I shared my testimony with her and basically asked her if she was a Jesus follower. That was like my pickup line, like, hey, you want to be a Christian? And so might seem cheesy, but it worked, right? So we're married and uh, have a couple kids and life is good. Um, but that was just the way I was. And so I actually, when I became a Christian, I started a college ministry. Didn't know it was a college ministry, but that's what it was. And then a church in town uh, called me and said, hey, quit your job at the buckle. Whatever you're making there, we'll pay you to just keep doing what you're doing, which is like awesome. Like, that's, that's great. So I just get to get paid to tell people about Jesus. And so um, I'll never forget walking into... The office of my first job, I go to the lead pastor's office and I walk in. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm zealous and I'm like, Hey, brother Scott, that's his name. I said, You know, it'd just be great if the whole staff just prayed together. You know, you, me, brother Jeremy, uh, brother Joe, Debbie, Beverly, with all the whole staff. We just got together and we prayed. And he looks at me and I'm thinking he's going to be like, Man, this guy's sharp. You're going places, buddy. And he looks at me and he says, Hey, Jared, how long have you been in ministry? And I said, uh, Officially about 30 minutes. And, uh, he said, okay, well, I've been in ministry for 30 years. Let me call the shots, okay? Go back up to your office and work. True story. Some of you are like, that's awful. And it was awful, okay? So I go up to the third floor. I sit in my, you know, <laughs> my little cubicle there, and um, I'm doing my work. About 15 minutes later, I hear the elevator come up to the third floor. It was Brother Scott. He rolls off, and he comes up to me, and he goes, come on. And I said, well, where are we going? He said, I started feeling guilty about not praying with you, so come on, we're going to go. He said, I got the whole staff down there. We're waiting for you to lead us in prayer. And so I go into the sanctuary, right, because that's the Holy of Holies place where the God's presence dwells, and we get down at the altar, right? And, uh, and uh, you know, they all pray, and then he says, I want you, Jared, to end us in prayer. And so they pray. And then I pray, and I feel like, man, I've just nailed it. This is a great prayer. This is awesome. This is, I mean, this revival is going to break out. And I, and I pray my prayer, and I'm like, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I look up, and Brother Scott, he's sitting down like this right here, and I wasn't sure if he's asleep or not, but all of a sudden, he just slowly raises up, and he looks at me, and he says, has anybody ever told you how much you say, dear Lord, in your prayers? <laughs> I was humiliated. As you can imagine, to make things worse, we all disband, but we have to come back together, actually, at the Red Goose Deli, whenever y'all were at Skinny J's, and uh, this was the owner of Red Goose, so it's just kind of cool, you're right here, anyways, sorry, thank you, and so, anyways, yeah, and so, we go into the Red Goose, we get our food, and Brother Scott looks at me, and I'm pretty sure it was intentional, he says, Jared, how about you lead us in prayer? And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I just break out in this cold sweat, I get nauseous, and I'm sitting there thinking... Whatever you do, do not one time say, dear Lord. <laughs> and before I can even get the thought, I promise you, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I bow my head and I say, dear Lord. <laughs> and I promise you, all I feel is the table begin to shake because my pastor's big belly is shaking the table from laughing so hard. I did not pray seriously for the next year around this man. Right? I mean, it was awkward. I mean, it was just a terrible experience. Now, listen. For some of you, you've never had an experience quite that traumatic, or at least I hope not. But I'm willing to bet for the majority of us in here, prayer is still awkward and possibly even a little scary. And I'm not just talking about public prayer. I'm talking about even in our 
private prayer life. Sure, there are some of you here, you love to pray, man. You find prayer as, a, as just an absolute pleasure and a privilege. But for many of us, prayer, as we just indicated, is a problem, right? For some of you in here, when you try to pray, you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling, like nobody's listening. Uh, for others of you in here, you're like 99.9% of the population has been diagnosed with ADD. You're like me, ADHD, right? And so you try to pray, but you're like, squirrel, you know what I mean? It's just like, like you start out and like seven seconds into it, I mean, you're all over the place. Like you're not even thinking about God, then you're like, oh, I feel so terrible. I can't even focus in my prayer life. For others, right, you want to pray, but the guilt of your sin keeps you from praying. You're like, man, I'm such a sinner. There's no way I could ever pray to God. Or for others, it's not the guilt of your sin that keeps you from praying. It's the love for your sin. And so you're like, man, I want to get alone with God, but I'm afraid that if I do, he'll reveal something nasty in my heart, and he might even ask me to let go of something that I'm not really ready to let go of. You, there's so many different obstacles we have in our prayer life, and if you take these things, all these concerns, and you combine them with the fact that we live in a fast-paced right, society, a, 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 just a, basically a drive-through society where we're always on the move, always on the go, where we don't like to sit silent, what that ends us with is a bunch of Christians who have, as we just all indicated with, the, with our hands being up, kind of an anemic prayer life, a, a struggle. And listen, I don't want you to feel guilty or or to feel any sort of shame over that today. But what I want you to hear is that if we don't learn to have a healthy prayer life, we ultimately miss out on greater intimacy with God, a better understanding of ourselves, and the true power we need to change. You see, prayer is simply a conversation with God. You talking to God and God talking to you. And so when we pray, we experience greater intimacy with God. Uh, you think about your marriage. No healthy marriage... Right, or no marriage will survive apart from good, healthy communication. If you do not communicate with your spouse, the relationship will break down. The same is true in our relationship with God. Yet for some of you, you've claimed to be Christians for years. Right? And, and you know lots of doctrine, you've memorized scripture. Uh, maybe you come here and, 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 and man, you, you, you are studied, you're well read. But an intimacy with God is a foreign concept. Uh, theoretically, there are many of you in here that are close to God in your heads, but relationally, you are far from Him. If I asked you today to, to describe what a relationship with God looks like on paper, I mean, you could give me all the right answers. Oh, brother, man, I mean, it's by faith, you know, you know, by grace through faith in Christ, I've been saved. I'm now a child of God. I mean, you could give all the right answers. I've got a new identity. But then if I asked you to, well, tell me on a practical level, what does a relationship with God look like? I mean, you would hear crickets. Right? There'd be silence. You'd say, well, honestly, if I can just tell the truth, I have no idea what a relationship with God looks like. I, I can't tell you on a practical level. I don't know what it's like to, to experience His presence in my life. See, what you need to hear today is prayer moves us from just knowing about God to knowing God. Prayer moves us from just you know, knowing some theology to experiencing theology. And then, and only then, can we then begin to experience a greater understanding of ourself. You see, when we pray, who are we praying to? We're praying to the one the Bible says sees all things and knows all things. You are communing with the one who knows your worries and your fears, who sees your hopes and your dreams. You are talking to the one, you are listening to the one who knows every single part of your heart and your life. In fact, he knows you better than you know yourself. And so when we pray... We open up our hearts to this God and He reveals who we really are in light of who He is and what He has done for us. This is why the great 
Scottish scholar Robert Murray McShane says this, As a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. See, when it comes to personal prayer, you cannot pray and pretend. When it's just you and God and nobody else around, and you know He sees all things and knows all things, as you begin to pray, you know what? Your heart really begins to come out. You begin to pour your heart out. You put your heart on the operating table. And what God does as a result is really amazing. He reshapes our desires. He refocuses our ambitions. And He redirects our path. For many of you today, prayer is boring, isn't it? I mean, how many of you in your life, prayer, woo! Right when you found out like it's a serious one, you're like, prayer, really? Prayer is not a priority. Prayer is not a, a privilege. Prayer is a problem. But what I hope you see is over the next five weeks as we dive into the Lord's prayer that we will see that it is a powerful privilege that we are foolish to neglect. I hope that you see over the next five weeks that this Lord's prayer, this model prayer actually serves as a guardrail of how we are to pray and when we will pray in the way Jesus has taught us to pray. You will. No matter who you are, what you're doing, you can experience greater intimacy with God, a better understanding of yourself, and the true power that we all need to change. But before we talk about how we are to pray, Jesus says, let's talk about how we are not to pray. And if you look, actually, back, we can put it on the screen for you, in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5, he's going to begin to tell us two things. He's going to say, look, first off, you need to know that prayer is not meant to be a performance, and you need to know prayer is not meant to be a payment. Let's talk about a performance first. Jesus says in verse 5 and 6, prayer is not meant to be a performance. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, for the religious leaders of this day, prayer had become this divine show. It was something they loved for people to listen in on because they thought, man, I can impress you with my super spiritual language. And, and, you know, this may seem like something that we're like, well, I would never do that. But I think, actually, it's a real temptation for all of us. I don't know how many of you grew up in a church like I did. My pastor, or my dad pastored churches throughout my entire life. And it was always amazing to me. My dad would do this thing at the end of the service. And some of you, if you grew up in country churches, you knew this, where the pastor would call on a random person at the end of the service to dismiss in prayer. Y'all remember those days? We should totally institute that, right? Again, here, like, you'd be like, I'm looking around, like, who's it going to be? Angie, would you dismiss? Like, oh, no, right? Like, like you just call on, it's awesome. I loved it as a youth. Like, oh, who's he going to call on today, you know? And so I'm pretty sure he would always call on the person who he thought listened the least in the sermon. And so, um, but it was amazing to me whenever he would call on people to pray, you would have these, these good old boys who would, when they would be called on to pray, they would go from talking like Larry the Cable Guy to instantly using the King's English. Like that. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you are laughing because you absolutely, I mean, they're like, y'all, I ain't, I mean, they're just good old boys. But then dad calls on to pray, they sit up and they're like, we beseech thee in thy tabernacle, oh God. You know, and it's like, what? You know, like divine, heavenly, sovereign God of the universe. And it's like, do they even know what that means? Like, <laughs> what is going on? And I remember one time specifically where my dad calls on this little bitty man who I never even heard a peep out of. He was the most timid man I've ever been around in my entire life. And my dad calls on him and immediately. You can just see him like, like uh, 
you know, like, oh God, he just like immediately is scared to death and he begins to pray and he realizes that there are key words you can use in a prayer to evoke amens. Anybody know what I'm talking about? One of those words is fire. You say fire, it doesn't matter how you use it, you're going to get amens from people, even if it makes no sense at all. And so this guy starts praying. It's not going well at all. And I remember, I'm like 16. I'm sitting right behind him. And our youth group just died laughing. Uh, and so don't judge us, right? And so like we were sitting there. This guy begins to pray. And he says, uh, he's struggling. But all of a sudden he says, God, I just pray that you set our church on fire. And like people, amen, amen. I'm thinking like literally? Like what are you talking about here? So he gets a few amens. And he's like, and God, while you're at it, set our whole town on fire. It was just, Amen. And this dude walks out like he's 10 foot tall and bulletproof, right? I mean, I'm serious. Like, this is the way it, it goes. It's like this idea, and I'm trying to pick on this little guy, but like, we all do that. It's like this idea that whenever I'm praying in public, like, man, if I crush it, I'm awesome, right? Like, yeah, call on me to pray. I'll bring the rain, man. Like, I'll do it right here. And listen, I'm not speaking against passionate prayers. Like, we should be passionate when we pray, right? We should be excited when we pray. We should get emotional. But what Jesus is talking about here is when we pray, be genuine. Be yourself, right? Use your personality, right? This is what he's getting at here. Don't use prayer to impress people, right? Look at prayer, not as a performance, but as this personal relationship. He then goes on in verse 7 and 8 and says, prayer is not only when we pray, we should we not make it a performance, but he says we should not make it a payment as well. In verse 7, he says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So many words. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask. For the pagans in the first century, they thought that whenever they prayed to their God, that the longer their prayers were, that meant the more serious they were, and the more serious they were, the better chance God was going to answer their prayers. It was this mentality that if God's going to listen to me, I've got to heap up lots and lots and lots and lots of words so he really knows I mean business. See, the problem with this view of prayer is it views God as this reluctant giver. It's this idea that God just kind of sit in heaven going, let's see what you got. Well, I can give you five minutes, God. Make it ten. Then we'll talk. And then you think, like, if you pray ten minutes, God's like, okay, I'll admit, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty good. Okay, I will listen to you now. That's why some of us view God, but guys, listen, God is not a reluctant giver. The Bible is clear that God is a good God who stands ready to give us good gifts. It, he, Jesus says in here that even before we pray, God knows what we need. Isn't that amazing to know that God knows what we were going to pray before we pray? Now, for some of you in here, you're like, that's discouraging to me. Like, if God knows what I'm going to say, why should I pray? But to me, I think it's the opposite. It's like, if God doesn't know, guess what? He's not God. So then why should you pray? That God knows. We need to, need to understand that when you go to God in your prayer, you are not debriefing the God of the universe. You are not going to God and saying, God, I just want to pray for my neighbor. He's 6'2", brown hair. And God's like, oh, really? Does he drive a car? Like, no, actually, it's a truck. Oh, that's very interesting. What else? Tell me more. Right? Like, we're not giving God information he doesn't have. When we pray... We're surrendering our hearts. We're surrendering our needs to him with confidence in the fact that he already knows, which means he is God, and the fact that he cares, which means he is good. 
You don't have to heap up lots of words to revoke some response from God. Man, if I just pray longer, then I bet God will answer this prayer. Then He will heal this person. Then He will bring about salvation. Then He will give me this job. No, God knows what you need even before you ask. And so when you come to Him, know He stands ready to give. Prayer is not a performance and prayer is not a payment. So if that's what prayer is not, what is it? If that's how we're not to pray, how do we pray? Well, Jesus begins to tell us in verse 9, and isn't it interesting, before he tells us how to pray, he says you need to know who you're praying to. And he starts in verse 9 and he says, this is who you're praying to. He says, when you pray, you should start your prayers like this. Our Father. And he says, you pray, our Father who is in heaven. Now, for you, that may not seem like a big deal, but if you would have been a disciple when Jesus said this, it would have blown your mind. If you would have been a disciple and you would have heard this, you'd be like, are are you kidding me? Because you would expect in this moment for Jesus to say, when you pray, pray like this, omniscient one, or omnipotent God. But yet he says, pray, Father. Now, to some of us, this may seem a little condescending and possibly even disrespectful to call the God of the universe Father. What is Jesus thinking? Well, Jesus knows that we should address God as Father because this is the very essence of what it means to be a Christian. In in John chapter 1, verse 12, I think we can put it on the screen for you. It says, But to all who have received Him, speaking of Jesus, who believed in His name, He has given the right to become children of God. To be a Christian is not to do a bunch of good stuff that impresses God. That's not what it means to become a Christian. To be a Christian is someone who has, by grace, been adopted into God's family, into the church. To be a Christian means that God is taking you from being an orphan to being his son or daughter. To be a Christian means that we, because of Christ, because of his life, death, and resurrection, that we all now can sit here as brothers and sisters who together, no matter what we've done or where we've come from, no matter what your color, no matter what your status, no matter what your personality, we can, because of Christ, call God Father. We are now part of this family. Where God is not some distant deity, man, He's your dad. For some of you in here, that's a really encouraging truth. For others, that's a very discouraging reality. And the reason why is because for some of you in here, and probably honestly the majority of us in here, you grew up with a father who is either absent or abusive. The majority of our society, we live in a manhood crisis. There are very few men acting like men. There's a lot of boys that shave. They will not grow up. They will not take responsibility for their families. They will not lead courageously. They just sit around and invest their lives in crap that will be in a junkyard or graveyard 100 years from now. Frustrates me to no end. Many of you had to grow up around this kind of father. A father who is a very poor example of what it means to be a dad. And so when you think of a dad, you have a very painful past, which means when you think of God being a father, immediately you almost just have feelings of anger or bitterness or sorrow or even for some of you, fear. And that is why it is so important. Listen to me, guys. Whenever you go to God as father, you make sure that you have immersed yourself in the scripture to see what kind of father God is. 
You know what the kind of father God is according to the scripture? According to the scripture, God is a good father. He is a gracious father. He is a kind father. He is a righteous and a just, a gracious and a, a, a faithful father. God has never once been unfaithful to one single one of his children throughout history. And listen, guys, you will not be his first. God keeps his promises and he has a perfectly clear track record. So what that means is whenever you begin to actually believe this, when you pray, you're home. And it's not a dysfunctional home. It's a home full of all of the unconditional love, the provision and the protection you have been longing for. This has been such good news to me this week as Jason Wolfenbarger was so graciously to remind me. I was stressed out this week over the crossing and he calls me on Thursday morning and he says, hey man, and I love this. I, I love this. People think as a pastor, like we don't need to hear the gospel. Man, I need to hear the gospel as much as anybody. Sometimes it's like, I think that you guys are afraid to even like speak the gospel to me or give me encouragement with the gospel because you're like, oh, he knows it all. He preaches every week. I promise you, like, I believe it this much just like you do. I need to hear it over and over and over. Jason Wolfenberger calls me this week and he says, man, I just want to remind you that God is in control. And immediately I was just like, Whew. I said, man, that's good news, Wolf. It's such a great reminder. I mean, it seems so simple to some of you, but it's exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. To be reminded that the creator of the universe who controls all things, there's not one rogue molecule out there because of God. God controls it all, and yet that God is my Father. And he says, I will provide you with all of your needs. Guys, you have to get this before you get anything else. If you do not see God as Father, you will never have a powerful, intimate prayer life. Ever. Jesus says, before you get anything else, you've got to know who you're praying to. You're praying through, praying to your Father. And he says, you're not just praying to your Father, but it's your Father who is where? In heaven. What Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to remind us that, yes, God is our Father, which creates intimacy, but he's also our Father in heaven, which creates awe and reverence. Jesus understands if we're going to have a powerful prayer life, we have to hold these two truths together, that, yes, he is our Father, but, yes, he is our Father who is in heaven. You see, if you don't hold these two truths together, here's what's going to happen. If you see God as Father, but not your Father in heaven, you will have intimacy, but you won't have reverence, which will lead to arrogance. It will lead to a flippancy. You will be like my kids or with me sometimes. Whenever they'll just come running into the kitchen or wherever I am, they'll be like, Dad, give me a cookie. It's like, oh. You're like, Dad, give me water. Dad, do this, do that. It's like, who do you think you are? Like, chill. How about ask nicely? How about please? So some of you are with God. It's like you try to make God your divine butler. Like, God, give me a new marriage. You know, give me a different job with more money. You try to bend God to your will as if he's your little butler. All right, like it's this idea. Again, there's intimacy, maybe, but there's no reverence. On the flip side, if you have reverence without intimacy, you won't be arrogant, but you will feel like God is distant. And men, this is where I think a lot of us are today. Right? You have this idea that, man, I'm too sinful to approach God. I could never go talk to God. Not the way I am. I can't do that. I mean, I can talk to the pastor. I can talk to someone else. But I can't go to God. Uh, Luke's had a chance to read some of my journal entries. From I mean, I've kept a journal ever since I first became a Christian. So it's been, I say I was 20. And so uh, 33 and a half, 13 years. And the first, like, two years of my journal, I'm just, like, beating myself up all the time. Do you remember reading those? You're like, dude, I hope I, you need to quit writing journals like this. So it's like, I'm just beating myself up. 
And I had this idea that, man, I could not go to God. I mean, I wanted to go to God, but I, I mean, I literally had this in my mind. And some of you are going to think this is stupid, but this is really where I was. I would think, I want to go talk to God, but there's no way I can right now. So here's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go read Leviticus so God really knows I love him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go share the gospel with somebody so he knows I, I, I really care. I'm going to go listen to K-Love. I don't even like listening to K-Love. I'm going to listen to K-Love so he knows, like, man, I'm like, yeah, like, where's, you know, like, I'm just like doing my thing. And then he will listen. Some of you have this view of God. It gets this idea, again, like you see the reverence, you realize he's huge, he's big, he's holy, right? And that's great. God is creator. He is holy. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. But listen, he is our father. And he is a good father, and he is a gracious father. And he doesn't just want you to come to him and you feel like you have it all together. He wants you to come to him as you are. For some of you, maybe you ask this morning, how is this really possible? No, let me just ask this. I think the Spirit wants me to ask this right now. Do you even want to go to God as Father? As you sit here and listen to this right now, are you hearing this? Do you even want to? Yes, we are all sinners. Yes, we are all born far from him. None of us by ourselves can approach this God. The Bible says in Isaiah 64 that our righteousness is as a filthy rag before him. Do you realize what that means? That that means that not only does your bad deeds separate you from God, but even your good deeds separate you from him because even your good deeds are so jacked up compared to God's holiness, it doesn't even impress him. We are born far from God. We have all fallen short of his glory. But do you realize today, you can go from being far from this God to having a personal and intimate relationship with him. And you say, well, how is this possible? Because Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, the only one who could ever call God Father by right. He came and he lived in a perfect relationship with God the Father. In fact, he always called God Father. Everywhere Jesus went, he addressed God as Father. And the title that he used for him was actually an Aramaic term. that we, it's, it's actually the word Abba. And it's a word that means nearness and dearness. The closest modern translation that we could have of that is the word Daddy. Every time Jesus talked to his father, he called him daddy. Every time except for once. And you know when it was? It was when he went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, when Jesus was dying for you and me, though he did not have to do this, when he was dying for you and he was dying for me, in the moment of despair, he did not cry out, Abba, Father. Instead, he cried out, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, why is it when Jesus was in the roughest point of his entire life, rather than calling God Father, he just called him Dad? You ever wondered why that is? And here's why. Because on the cross, Jesus took the penalty for your sin. On the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God for your sin. 
on the cross, Jesus was cut off from the intimacy with God that was rightfully his because he chose to take the penalty that was rightfully ours. On the cross, Jesus did not die for just random sin out there. He died for your sin and my sin. He took the judgment of a holy God reserved for you and me, and then he rose from the dead so that we can be put in a right relationship with God. So that you and I, when we trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, can be robed and clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. So now, whenever God sees you, you know what he sees? He sees you through the lens of Jesus. What that means now, listen guys, is this. No matter who you are or what you've done, just as in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus was raised out of the baptism waters, and God the Father said what? This is my Son, whom I am well pleased When you trust in Christ, he says the same thing about you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what anybody else says about you guys, the God of the universe is pleased with you if you trust in Christ. How amazing is that? He's not looking at you with disdain right now. He's looking at you and he loves you. and He's not going to love some future version of you better. He loves you perfectly and completely do you believe this man i hope this doesn't become old news what are we doing if we don't believe it guys it's true and it's available to you and me do you today call god father when you pray do you call him father some of you we still when you pray it's god It's Lord. Why are you doing that? Think about it. Why are you not calling him dad? For me and my children, guess what? I don't want them to call me Pastor Jared. I don't want them to call me Mr. Jared. I was coaching T-ball yesterday. Some kids said, hey, coach, I don't want my kids to call me coach. I want my kids to call me daddy. Because they're my kids. My relationship with them is unique and special. And I want them to know it. The same is true with you and God, guys. He wants you to know Him as Dad. He wants you to know Him as Father. What, how amazing is it that we do not worship some God who is far off that just says, show up here at the 930 every week, check your religious box, and I'll see you in heaven. He says, I want a personal and intimate relationship with you now. This is one way you can know you're a Christian. Do you know that? Knowing God as Father. That's why Paul says what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He says, when you became a Christian, you received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we Cry, Abba, Father. One way you can know you're a Christian is by receiving the Spirit. One way you can know you receive the Spirit is whenever He begins to make the gospel alive in your heart. Whenever He begins to make the beauty and the majesty of what I'm talking about real to you so that you don't just hear it and go, yeah, 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 yeah. But as you hear it, your heart begins to be warmed. And you begin to realize despite the fact that you deserve hell, despite the fact that you deserve the wrath of God, that because of Jesus, you are accepted, you are loved, 
You are cherished. And God is never going to love you any less. He's never going to love you anymore. He loves you perfectly right now. Guys, that's why when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Because we realize we can't waltz into a relationship with God based off of just flippantly, like, oh yeah, I'm amazing. Here I am, God. And we realize the reason that we can go from being slaves of sin to sons or daughters of God is because of Jesus. Because of his life, because of his death and his resurrection, we can now be called children of God. If you believe that, it changes how you pray. And on a practical level, let's end here this morning. On a practical level, I think there are three things that it changes. There are now three ways that we should be going to God when we go to Him because we are His child and He is our Father. And the first way that we should go to Him is when you go to Jesus or when you go to God in your prayers, you need to go to Him needy. You need to go to God needy. When my children come to me to talk to me, they do not think, okay, I better put on my business attire. I better make sure that I get my speech just right. I better make sure that I'm perfectly clean. Man, they come to me and they get like snot on me and germs on me and their breath stinks. And I mean, it's just like, they're so messy. But you know what? I don't care. I don't care. Like, I know they're, they're little kids. They're needy. And I let them come to me. Some of you are like, man, I'd love to be able to go to God, but I got so much junk in my life. God says, bring me your junk. I got so much dirt. Bring me your dirt. I got so many questions. Bring me all your questions. Please hear me today, guys. Listen, we're almost done. Prayer is not for religious experts. Prayer is for needy children. You feel needy today? Then you're qualified for prayer. Let's go to Him. Let's stop pretending. God knows anyway. He knows all your mess. He knows my mess. You don't have to clean yourself up. Go to Him. Be real with Him. You know what? If you don't want to pray, tell Him. I don't want to pray to you. I literally had a conversation with Him this week. I know I need to pray. I want to watch Netflix. I don't want to talk to you. Tell Him that. Be honest. If you get distracted, God, I'm sorry. There's just more things. My mind's everywhere. I, I can't I keep thinking about my work. Be honest with Him. Be real with Him. God wants you to come to Him with all your ways. He wants you to come to Him needy. Secondly, because we are children of God, go to Him boldly. Tim Keller says, and I love this, in his book on prayer, the only one who would dare wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his child. What would be rude and demanding of anybody else makes perfect sense when you're someone's child. You can go to God boldly. Do you remember this, Ryan? This thought just crossed my mind. Do you remember whenever we went to, and some, of, some others were in here, we went to an Acts 29 conference in Ray Ortland, a guy that I greatly respect. Like, literally, dude, the dude's intimidating, isn't he? It's like, Robbie, you know, he could like burn a hole through your skull with his stare, right? It's awesome. And so... Um, He's preaching, and we're there all together in Nashville. His phone rings, and we just get embarrassed for him. Like, imagine if I'm here right now, and it's like, do, 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 whatever my ringtone is. Like, his phone rings, and we're like, oh, we forgot to put this phone on silent. So he pulls it out, and we're like, he's going to put it on silent and put it back in. You know what he does? Hey, dear. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm preaching. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I'm just preaching to some pastors. Yeah. He's like, you okay? You good? Hangs up the phone. He said, that was my daughter. And he goes back to preaching. 
If I would have done that, he would have excommunicated me from the conference. (laughs) This is the kind of access you have to God because you are his child. God is not too busy for you. He's not too important for you. He says, come to me boldly. And because we go to God and we know that when we go to him, he's a good father, do you know what's going to happen? Let me just say this, guys, real quick. Some of you don't pray because of unanswered prayers. You should be very thankful for unanswered prayers. You know why? Because my kids often will ask me for donuts. Actually, they pretty much do every single meal. (laughs) Do I give it to them every single meal? Absolutely not. You know why? Because I'm a good father and I don't want them to have diabetes. Okay? Listen. When you go to God because he's a good father, you can trust one of two things are going to happen. Either he's going to give you what you asked for, or he's going to give you what you should have asked for if you knew what he knew. Sometimes you pray stupid prayers, and I pray stupid prayers, and the things we ask for will kill us. God says, I'm not going to give them to you. So you can go boldly, and you can ask. And even if you're afraid you're going to ask a stupid prayer, ask it with boldness, and know that because he's a good God, he won't give it to you if it's dumb. Okay? Third and finally, when we go to God because he's our Father, we can go needy, we can go boldly, but we also should go gladly. Prayer is such a privilege. What a privilege. Is it not a privilege to know that we can communicate right now with the creator of the universe? How incredible that the author of, the, of life is your father. And guess what? Guess what? Listen, you're the center of his affections. I am not a touchy-feely person. I'm not a really a crier or a real sensitive person. But I sometimes will just look at my kids and stare at them with the biggest, goofiest-looking grin on my face. And I'll just watch them. And I'll pick them up, man, and I'll squeeze them, and I'll kiss on them, and man, I'll just say the cheesiest stuff to them. Oh, man, they just warm my heart. I would, in a second, leave any of you in order to be with them. And my love for my children does not even pale in comparison to the love and affection that God has for his children. When you believe this, prayer will stop being a burden and it will start being a blessing. It will stop being a problem. It will start being a pleasure. And when you pray, as a result, you will finally experience intimacy with God that you are longing for, a better understanding of yourself, and the change that you need that is for your good and ultimately for God's glory.